1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today, Sovereignty was never ceded, it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me, I'm your host Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello, fam, and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. Today, I'm going to be joined back again by Shona for part two of our conversation, and we're going to jump right back in where we left off.
0: I emailed the detective back that had contacted me who received my sorrow. And I said, Hey, I know it's been six months, but I am kind of interested now in talking about following it through formally. And she forwarded it on to the appropriate person. And um, he contacted me by phone and we just had a really, really good chat. I was a little bit nervous being that he was a man and all of the violence and, abuse that had been perpetrated against me was also from a man, but he was just so kind and just really, I felt so comfortable, which was really, really nice. Um, And, you know, we just had a really good chat and he kind of just said like, you know, I just want to make sure that you're not coming into this expecting to get a conviction. Um, Like we need to set realistic expectations um, and that you know, because this is a historic case, it might be difficult to get enough evidence to even take it to court. And just like having just a really honest chat with me, although like, obviously those things are disappointing to hear. I just really appreciated that he was being so upfront and, you know, was also like, he never made me feel like he didn't believe me either. Um, Like he was just like, making sure that I was okay and that I was in a good space to be able to follow this through. So I really did appreciate how he handled it. And um, that happened like right before Christmas. So we were like, let's just like pop a pin in this for a couple of weeks and come back to it in the new year and then we'll organize the statement and everything. So we did that and we had a little break. And, um, yeah, and then after that, because, yeah, he was five hours away. He was in Grafton. Um, we did my statement via email, which was really, really good. Um, he just, like, emailed me the blank document. I filled out whatever I needed to, sent it back, and then he'd write back with questions to clarify certain things. And, like, we just did it that way. And it was so easy. And, like, I just was so glad that I didn't have to go into a police station and sit in, like, a cold, dark room somewhere and be freaking out. Um, it was just nice to be able to do that at home. And... um yeah, so I really like felt like that process was made so much easier as well um, compared to what it could have been. Um, you know, obviously it was very difficult having to recount all of the details and go into such depth. Um, but, yeah, I feel like it was made so much easier by being able to do it in a space where I was comfortable. And, yeah, um, and
1: like not having to recount everything out loud, that is very different to being able to sit there in a place that you feel safe and comfortable and write something down
0: yes like that's something
1: that we should be considering for all people who come forward regardless of distance and time between you know and reflecting on somebody who told me their story recently um they said that they weren't given that option because they had made some previous statements and the police wanted to test what they were saying against what had been written down to make sure yeah. that they weren't that it lined up exactly and oh, we know yeah. that that's not how trauma works but yeah I think just the fact that you've got a good apple um in that he was able to communicate with you and make you feel safe is is a wonderful thing and it just goes to show that you don't need to do much to make somebody feel safe and comfortable in these things like he didn't go above and beyond at these stages he was just the bare minimum, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) empathetic, very sensitive to the situation and wanted to help and believed you like these are basic things that every police officer should be able to do with their communication skill sets. But I am glad that that was a really positive experience for you.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm, I am just so grateful because I feel like along the entire process, everyone that I came into contact with was, you know, just very, kind and empathetic and just really considerate of me which is almost unheard of like you just hear so many horror stories of survivors going through the system and they are just shit on the entire way so i am so so grateful that my experience although obviously it's traumatic it was i feel it was as easy as it possibly could have gone um and yeah like even with the statement when it came time to signing it, he sent it to a local police station and got someone to drive to my house for me to sign it at home. So I didn't have to make my way to the station then either. Like just all these little things that happened were just, yeah, just so nice and considerate and just made the process that little bit easier. Um and yeah, it did um go through court and it did take a long ass time. <laughs> but again, um like it was a lot shorter than the majority. Um, and I think that was because he didn't really help himself with his own case. He, um, started making limited confessions. That's what they called them to people. So when police brought him in for questioning, he said the same thing. He was like, I was fucked up on drugs. I didn't know that it was her. Um, you know, it was only one time. And then, um, fax got involved which is basically like docs because of the kids that were living in his house um he said the same thing to the fax worker that came (laughs) for the kids and um so he was saying all of these things to all of these people in certain positions so obviously they're going to be able to use those witness statements against him so he really didn't help his own case with that because he has very loose lips but um yeah. So it did go through court and um, it was super, super hard. The very first date that I had to be there for, cause I chose not to sit in on anything that I wasn't directly involved in. Um, I just didn't feel like it was helpful for me to be able to hear everything. I just wanted to go in, do my bit and leave. So the first day that I had to be there, I had to travel to Grafton which was hard in itself as we were driving in and we saw like the welcome to Grafton sign I just started crying I was like I don't want to be here Um, but I pulled it together and we got there and um, we walked up to the courthouse and I could see him sitting at the front and I was like great (laughs) just straight off the bat. Um, So me and my support person were just kind of hovering around the corner and he had seen me walk up. So he decided to step down onto the footpath in front of the courthouse and have a cigarette and just stare at me and just slowly kind of make his way closer. He's just staring at me. And like on the inside, I'm freaking out. But on the outside, I was like, no, he's not allowed to see that I'm freaking out. So I was like, I'm going to fake laugh and like flip my hair (laughs) And turn my back to him so he thinks that I'm not bothered. Um, And, like, just acting like everything's fine, but on the inside everything's on fire. And then finally the um, prosecutor arrived and she was like, let's get you into your little room Um, because I was doing video link from a separate tiny room in the courthouse. And she was like, oh, by the way, is he here? And I was like, yeah, that's him right there staring at me. And she was like, okay, let's get you inside, like, ASAP. Um, so she like ushered me inside. Um, I finally met the detective for the first time as well.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's really lovely. We would
0: only talked, um, you know, over the phone and on email. Um, and yeah, we let him know that he was out the front trying to intimidate me. So he was like, okay, well, you know, when we have our breaks and stuff, this is my num. you have my number, like, give me a call and I can, you know, bring you inside or whatever. Um, so that again was really nice. Like being like, you know, just call me if you need me kind of thing. Um, and I didn't actually end up giving my evidence that day because they ended up getting stuck arguing about lawyer stuff. (laughs) Um, so I pretty much just sat in that room all day, um, trying my best not to absolutely lose my shit, but I was so nervous. Um, and yeah, we did have our break and we went and got some lunch. And then on our way back, we saw, um, saw him again. And he, again, was just trying to stare at me and, Like, I guess trying to intimidate me, but this time I just stared right back at him as I walked back in. I was like, you're not going to, you know, I'm not afraid of you anymore. You're not going to scare me. I'm here because you're an asshole and you deserve this. Like, it's not on me. And, um, yeah, so that was also like a kind of moment for me where I was like, I'm so powerful right now. (laughs) Like (laughs) that was just like, yeah, it was, it was a moment. And then, yeah, so we finished up, um, we had to have the next date in about two weeks' time because the magistrate, it was in a local court, so there wasn't a jury or anything. It was just a magistrate. And he was really, really busy, but he had a date that was in two weeks' time in a different area. Um, So we agreed that they would let me dial in from Newcastle so I wouldn't have to travel this time and do it from video from there. And he would have to travel to wherever the next thing was. Um, And they also didn't want to get a different magistrate because then you basically have to start over again with a new person and, The prosecutor had also mentioned to me, because she kept ducking in and giving me little updates, she'd mentioned that she really liked that magistrate and felt like, you know, he was a good one. (laughs) So she was like, I really don't want to lose this guy because I feel like we have a really good chance. Like, not to get your hopes up, but I just want to keep him. And I was like, okay, well, let's make it happen then. So, yeah, we had our next date in two weeks' time. And, um, yeah, pretty much straight away, first thing in the morning was when I gave my evidence. and for that two week period beforehand, I'd kind of spent um, most of that time just kind of trying to prepare myself. And I, you know, was reading my statement. I was practicing reading it out loud because I hadn't actually spoken the words before. Like you mentioned before, I'd only written them down or like given very vague thing, like, oh, I was sexually abused or, you know, stuff like that. So I was practicing in the mirror, like looking at myself and reading them out loud, making sure I was familiar top to bottom, hundred percent with my statement. Cause I did not want to get tripped up at all. And yeah, I just really focused on preparing and I definitely felt a lot better going into it this time than I did the first time. Cause I didn't do any of that prep work before the first time. So I was kind of glad that I didn't have to speak that day because I probably would have fucked it up, honestly. But um, yeah, so first thing I gave my evidence. And, you know, it was so, so hard, but I was just trying to really dig deep and remember why I was doing it. And that was, you know, to protect my family, uh, which included my step-siblings who were living with him. And also, you know, just to hold him accountable and know that I wasn't going to be silent anymore. And, you know, he hadn't gotten away with it. So those were my kind of the fuel for my fire. And I was just trying to remember those things and channel strength. And I wanted to sound sure with all of my answers. So I was, you know, making sure that everything sounded really firm. Um, and you know, it's a lot, <laughs> the, de- yeah. the, the defense is trying to craft their own kind of version of events. So as they were asking me, questions that aren't really questions most of them are statements but I was trying to be like yes that's correct no that's incorrect like just instead of just saying yes or no I wanted to be like no you're wrong um yeah and just make them know that like I'm very very sure of this and you know I've got this top to bottom you're not going to trip me up and uh, what kind
1: of um things were they saying to you to try and trip you up
0: Oh, I can't remember specifically, but there was a lot of just really weird things. Like he said, um, I suggest that he didn't enter from the bedroom door. He entered from the sliding door on the side. And I'm like, no, that's incorrect. Like, (laughs) what does that even matter? But okay. And then he's saying, I suggest he didn't climb into the middle of the bed in between you. I suggest he climbed in the side of the bed. And, like, right. you know, just trying, so to- trying
1: to create doubt within yeah. the, the ver- veracity of your story by trying to poke holes in it to make it seem like, well, if she got the side of the bed wrong or if she's, you know, contesting the side of the bed, maybe, then is the story at all correct? And it's, a, it's trying to not get somebody off because they're innocent, it's trying to get somebody off on a technicality which is not, I don't believe, what defence attorneys should be doing. They should be acting within the law. Yeah. Anyway, it just, that really fucks me off, but I think it's something that we do need to talk about as well. And this is the part I think that most victims who come forward are scared of, which is being cross-examined.
0: Yeah, I was really worried because, you know, obviously with prosecution and stuff, you kind of know what they're going to be asking you. Um, And for the most part, it's pretty much just like, can you explain the details of events and that kind of thing but yeah you don't know what they're going to ask you the defense is going to ask you and yeah like I said it's mostly not even questions like he's like I suggest this <laughs> like and just gives you a statement it's like that's not a question <laughs> um but yeah I one of the tips that the prosecutor gave me beforehand was don't get caught up in why they're asking you these questions just answer the question I was like, okay, like, remember that, don't get lost, just focus, answer the questions, who cares why they're asking. And then afterwards I was picking apart, like, why the fuck are they asking these questions? Um, But during, yeah, I was just trying to stay really focused. I did get upset a lot of times and I kind of just had to take a breath for a second. Um, But, you know, that's completely normal. We're talking about emotional traumatic things. Obviously, you're going to get upset at some point. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think everyone understands that. I One of the things I also utilized was tapping. So I had like my two fingers on each hand on my thighs and I was just alternating, just tap, 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 tap the whole time. That kind of helped me come back into the moment as well and not get so swept up in, you know, all the stuff that I was having to talk about.
1: Yeah, it's like a therapy Um, way of being mindful and being present and making sure, you know, you can feel that. Yeah. Um, is that something that you learned in therapy to do?
0: Yeah. So my counselor had actually suggested it. She said that um, she'd had a few clients that did various different forms. She said someone actually did it like on their shoulders um, and things like that. So I did it on my legs because I was like, they can't see it because <laughs> I can only see the top half in the in the video. So I was like, they won't be able to see this. And yeah, it was it was good. It was really, really helpful for me. Um, but yeah, so we got through that and, um, yeah, the moment that I was excused, it was just like this complete flood of emotions over me. Like I just started bawling my eyes out, um, because yeah, I'd just done this huge thing and like finally, you know, spoken about it in this huge moment. And, um, but then I just started laughing at the same time because I was like, thank God it's over. Like, I can't believe it's all over. So I'm like crying my eyes out and laughing like a psycho and (laughs) walking out of the courtroom down the steps and like everyone's staring at me. (laughs) And it was just such such an emotional, overwhelming moment. But, yeah, it was really powerful. Like I felt really, really good even though it was also really – hard I just I also just felt really really good about it. I was like yes like one more thing down that's basically my part done like I'm done now it's whatever happens happens and um yeah so I think it took about two months after that to get a decision back um and he was found guilty of seven counts of indecent assaults which was um the situation in the bed, they were able to break it down into seven different charges because of, like, the starting and stopping and all that kind of stuff. Um, But the stuff on the computer he wasn't convicted for. Um, And that was mainly due to not being enough evidence that it was directed at me, even though, you know, being in that space and, you know, knowing that I was there and that kind of thing... There wasn't enough evidence to be able to convict that as a crime. So that was really, really hard, Um, especially because, you know, painting a picture of the bedroom, it wasn't really like a bedroom bedroom. It was like a small study. There was enough room for my single bed and a bedside table next to it. And that was the complete width of the room. And the computer was situated in two different places over the years. One was directly at the end of my bed, which was when it first started. And then it was eventually moved over into the corner um, across from the doorway. So either way, it was still very, very close to me and, you know, directly in this really small space in the room. So even though he wasn't, you know, saying anything to me or like trying to engage with me, it was still a violation on me. You know, that's my bedroom. I'm asleep in the bedroom. I'm a child. It's still a a violation. So that was... And you could have seen
1: it at any time. Like, is that not an indecent exposure, performing a sex act in front of a minor? Like, I don't know. Like, these are just... If you're in earshot, is that not... And I understand, like, you know, maybe the law is written in a certain way to protect people from innocent circumstances, But this was a pattern of behaviour that was exhibited over years and years and years. So he could have at any time moved that computer into a different location, moved it into their own bedroom. There could have been actions that could have been done to stop it from being in a way that was harmful towards you. I don't feel like there's any way to prove that it wasn't directed at you. Yeah. And even if it wasn't, how is masturbating in front of your child and watching pornography an okay thing to do just in the same room. That's not okay.
0: Yeah. It's pretty fucked. And like, yeah, he may not have been like getting me to watch with him or anything like that. But like you said, I could have watched at any time. It was only because I chose to lay down and close my eyes and pretend like this wasn't happening, that I didn't see anything. Burroughs furniture is built for the way you live. but I was glad that he did, you know, was found guilty for the other stuff. Um, you know, it is really hard to get any kind of conviction, especially for, especially for um, historic cases. So I was really grateful that he did get that at the very least. Um, he didn't really get a very long sentence either. Um, yeah, so for sentencing, I did a victim impact statement Um, I spent so long trying to draft that up. I put so much pressure on myself. Um, and eventually I was like, no, you just got to write something and then we can figure it out from there. Cause I was really like, I don't know what to say. Um, but it, it ended up being like five pages long and then I submitted it and, um, it came back and I had to edit a lot because you're not allowed to include things that aren't directly related to the charges and what he's being convicted of. So anything that's not related to that is seen as damaging. So I wasn't allowed to say anything about any of the violence or um, the drug and alcohol abuse or anything like that. I had to take all of that out. So, It did end up being very heavily censored, but I feel like I was still able to get most of what I wanted to say across, which was nice. And I was able to sneak in something that probably shouldn't have been allowed, but no one else knew except me and him. (laughs) So that was really, really nice. Um, So, yeah, we went, um, we did the same thing. I did a video link in from Newcastle. And yeah, first up, I got to read my statement and then I asked if I was allowed to stay on and watch the rest of it because I did want to see this part. I wanted to see his reaction um, to whatever punishment he was going to get. So um, yeah, during my victim impact statement, um, I was really just, you know, I was so emotional and upset. I was like, (laughs) my voice was shaking and I was crying, but I was like, nope, we're going to get through this. and. yeah, I was just trying to make my way through. But when we got to the to the point that I had snuck in there, I really wanted to just watch his face and see how he was going to react to it. And his reaction was to put his head in his hands and just start sobbing heavily. And I was like, okay, that's validation for me. Like, fuck you. <laughs> you should feel upset about this. Um, and, yeah, so that was really, really nice moment for me. And, um, and then, yeah, we got to sentencing and I was just watching him the whole time and it was so good. This is like my favorite memory, I think of my entire life. Um, (laughs) just watching him sitting there. Um, and like, He would go from being, like, crying to, like, visibly very scared and, like, looking around and looking at the police officers who were sitting behind him who who were there to take him away if he got prison time and stuff like that. And, like, just knowing that going to prison is one of the things that he had always been so fearful of and, like, had always brought up, like, he never wanted to do it like just knowing that he was scared of it potentially happening was so satisfying to me. It was so nice. And just watching him like visibly freaking out, I was like, finally, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's finally happening to him. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so he was um, sentenced to a very short period in prison. So he, his full sentence was 24 months, But he was eligible for parole from 18 months, uh, which he then appealed. And his original sentence stayed, but his parole period was reduced down to 12 months. So actually from December last year, he is out now that I'm aware of on parole um, and has to do some kind of rehabilitation. But I'm not sure what exactly that is or what it involves. But just that moment when he was told that he was going to prison, like him clutching his chest and like panicking, looking like he was having a heart attack, I was like, this is the best moment of my life. <laughs> like,
1: it was so good. <laughs> well, finally, he's not the one with the most power in the room. And finally, you know, you've also been the one to take him down, but to see him fearful, and it is quite poetic justice in a way. He's He's now living the fear and the, you know, I guess, the scared and vulnerable feelings that you and your siblings and your mother had felt for years and years and years under his reign of torture, power and yes. control, horribleness. So I think it is quite poetic justice to see him so upset and to be in that situation when he's the only person that's that's there for that reason. Yeah, he put exactly. himself there. Exactly. And, and you really put the nail in the coffin. I think that's a really... <laughs>
0: Like, yeah, it was, it was great. Powerful. It's so good. <laughs> and then, you know, afterwards, um, you know, when I'd start to get kind of overwhelmed by everything, because there was a period, even though, you know, I'd gone through this whole period, it was still really difficult afterwards, because it brought everything back up. And I was having to kind of you know, figure out what's next. So there was periods where I was, you know, really struggling, but in those moments I'd just be thinking he's laying in prison right now, probably like having the worst time of his life, like <laughs> <So laughs> everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of comfort
1: for me. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, I think it's yeah, it is a short sentence, but it is a lot larger than most people get and i don't say that lightly um you know i remember in the case against the man who offended against me christopher lordan as well he was given i think 4 years but with the parole period of 24 and i think it was reduced yeah. to about 18 so they do really halve it and then halve it again most of the time
0: yeah um
1: but to get anything like that i think for me personally it was quite validating that it did really happen and that people do believe me. And if somebody didn't, that I'd almost have a piece of paper to say it did. Yeah, Is that any way that you felt? I mean, but your whole family and everybody believed you instantly.
0: Yeah. um, I think one of the biggest moments of validation for me was actually during the sentencing as well, because after I'd read my victim impact statement and the magistrate was kind of going through um, talking about um, why he was giving the sentence he was about to give and all that kind of thing. He really acknowledged what I had been through and directly quoted my victim impact statement that i just read out multiple times um, and been like, well, this is how it's affected her. And like, it felt like he had really listened to me and was kind of validating my experience and being like, yes, we hear you, we see you. Um, and, you know, this is being taken into consideration. So that was just so, so nice. And I just, yeah, I really felt so, um, yeah, just so seen from that moment. And, you know, I was really just so grateful. Like I said, every single person that I met along the way, like the detective, the prosecution, the magistrate, everyone was just so amazing And, um, yeah, I'm just so, so grateful that my experience was just vastly different to the horror stories that you hear for others. It's really unfortunate that, you know, it's just luck of the draw. It shouldn't be that way. And it's really, really sad that it is that way. But, yeah, it was really nice um, with that. And then, yeah, obviously having my family all believe me and um, support me was really good. There was only a couple of um, other family members um, some of his siblings and stuff that reached out to me supporting him and were not very nice, but I just ignored that, blocked out the haters. <laughs> um, yeah, but for the most part, yeah, the most important people was my immediate family and they really, we all just kind of united and kind of banded together in this kind of pillar of strength, which was really, really beautiful. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. amazing. And I think as well, like you said, it, it shouldn't be luck of the draw, but, you know, to have a police officer kind of set the expectations, but not discourage you is one thing. And I think that that's something that people will will get from listening to your story as well. You know, the dominant narrative can often be the negative narrative. And, you know, I don't think that my my experience wasn't all bad. Um, I also don't remember most of it considering I was 14 and I didn't really have any rights over the process that was for my parents to to be in charge of and they didn't really tell me much. So yeah. I do acknowledge that. But I think as well, you know, there's been a few people that have come onto this podcast who've have actually had quite positive experiences or the best in the circumstances. Um and there are the negative ones there and it's important that we listen to those as well. But I guess my my recommendation to anybody considering coming forward would be to utilize the SARO. Um they've changed it now. Shona, you were a part of uh, you know, launching the the online version of that form. So it's not as difficult to fill out. But also consider a number of different things. Maybe go speak to a heap of different survivors, see if you can increase your support network. Because yes, it is hard. Um, but I don't want people to be discouraged because even in a world where we are in and, and it is a sad one, you know, I I don't want people to be discouraged and and because the the system is more traumatic than the events. And if that continues to be the case, you know, we still we need to change it from the inside and break it down.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's why the SARO is such an important tool. Um, I believe there's similar things in other states, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But what I would really, really love to see is just one umbrella across all of Australia. And then, you know, even if it's just like all the individual states have their own thing, but it all goes to one system. So then you can link up you know, offenders that are moving states and things like that and being able to kind of um, piece together puzzle pieces that might not be pieced together because a lot of the time states aren't talking to each other. (laughs) And, you know, what's to say someone isn't offending in New South Wales and then moves over to WA and offends some more? Like they wouldn't really link that together unless everyone's kind of speaking with each other. So what would be really great for me to see is just one kind of system where everyone can submit their sorrows into one system and they can be able to link up things like that. But it is such a great, great tool. Um, you know, it's it takes all the pressure off of reporting as well because you're not instigating a formal investigation. Nothing's going to come of it unless you choose for it to be. You can choose to be completely anonymous as well. Um, And, yeah, like you said, the new portal that they launched in January um, is so much easier than the document that I had to download. Um, You know, it's all online and just streamlined, which is nice and easy. It's in a variety of different languages. Um, yeah, you can choose to be anonymous, you can choose to be contacted by police after or not be contacted or, you know, there's just lots of different options. And I think that's so important to be able to give that back to survivors, to be able to reclaim the story and take control of something that may feel out of control most of the time. You know, you want to be able to have that sense of control back. And I think that's just a really great tool to be able to help survivors do that.
1: Absolutely. And for every survivor, it doesn't always look like justice like that. But you know, put popping somebody's name on onto the SARA might be an initial an initial step. And you don't have to do anything about it, like you said. But you know, it's I've said this before, but I, I think it's really important as well that people who are worried about their the person that offended against them offending again. It's not up to you to stop it. I mean Yes, ideally people would feel comfortable and safe to come forward, but we've created a system where that's not always the likelihood or the likely outcome. So I think as well it's important for people to remove the guilt from themselves because the guilt and shame should lie at the feet of the offender, the person who is doing the behaviour and the person that continues to perpetrate. And, you know, I think having access to things like sorrow will be a wonderful way to maybe break some of these down. I don't know if they're looking at the list of offenders that have been named on there and if there's a if there are multiple people who are naming the same offender if that's going to be tracked through the SARO I don't know if that's the case. I would hope so. Any conglomeration of information should be assessed like that. Any register of information should be but yeah, I think it's just we're heading in the right direction. We've still got a long way to go though.
0: Yes, definitely. And I completely agree with you with the misplaced guilt and shame. There's You know, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do and it's not your responsibility to try and prevent them re-offending. That's not on you. That's on them. So, yeah, no
1: pressure. (laughs) You just have to do what you need to do to be able to
0: get through everything and,
1: you know, craft your journey how you want to see it. Thank you so much, Shona, for coming on and and speaking with me for the third time. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, I'm so grateful to have had you on the panel, um, to being able to hang out with you and meet you in person in Sydney. It was so much fun being yes. able to hang out together. Oh, um, I was so
0: excited. After we met up that very first time when me and Harry left and I was like, you know, that was the first time I actually met her and he was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a partner. Yeah. It was oh that's
1: debatable. <laughs> oh, I just said it again. Sorry. As a as a Victorian, um, I said I might get a Parma, which is chicken parmigiana, but obviously I was in New South Wales who were wrong and say palmy. <laughs> <laughs> but I went up to order it. And the, even the the late lady who took my order, she was like, Oh, Palmy, yes. <laughs> Such a slight. It was I was so <laughs> No, no, it was, it was, it was such so, a good time. Yeah,
0: it was. It was so good. It was good to finally meet you in person and have all the hugs
1: <laughs> and all of the laughs. As well, I think that's the other thing as well. And I feel so many people hear the Reclaim Me narrative and they go, oh my gosh, how do you do that? It's so difficult. And it's like, it's hard listening to people's stories, yes. But I think when you get to connect with people like yourself, we have this connection, we can laugh, we can have fun. You know, we've laughed at different times during this recording, whether it be uncomfortable laughter because we don't know what to do (laughs) or whether it be genuine laughter, you know, and I think it is a really good highlighting of the fact that there is so much life after abuse and and connecting with community like this can be so empowering and so wonderful in so many different ways. And, um, yeah, I'm so grateful to have met you as well. I'm so grateful
0: also. It's so beautiful. (laughs)
1: Oh. <laughs> um, but before we close up, was there anything, um, that we missed that you wanted to go over?
0: Uh, I don't think so. I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, yeah, I guess talking about now, everything's going really, really good. Um, the sorrow launch was actually my first kind of toe dip into doing something publicly, And then since then, I've just kind of been trying new things. So, you know, coming on and doing this podcast and being invited to your live event, which was amazing. And um, yeah, getting more active on social media, connecting with other people. Like I've had so many people just message me and reach out just for a chat. And it's been so nice just to be able to talk with other people and, you know, just be there for each other. It's really, really nice. Yeah.
1: I love that. And you're so right. I think, yeah, it just... It comes full circle and you've got a massive group of people who are here to support you within the advocacy space as well. So if anybody does want to get in contact with Shona or with myself, I will pop the links so that you can connect with us on social media in the show notes for this episode. But thank you so much, Shona. It's been so wonderful to have you on again. And I can't wait to chat to you again soon.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing.
1: Well, thank you so much, Shona, for coming on and sharing your story in two parts. It was so incredible to hear just the raw candid and emotions that were going on. And, you know, it's so important for people to listen to people's experiences and hear that laughter and hear the ridiculousness of some things and hear the elation of certain moments. You know, it is coupled with grief and it is coupled with a lot of different things, but it is so important. I think that So many people, especially you, the listeners, the potential jury pool, it is so important that we educate people that there is no standard way for victims to act and respond. And, you know, I think hearing from Shona, so many of us will see ourselves in her and her responses as well. So thank you so much before I formally wrap up I just want to make a clarification as well that earlier on in the episode when Shona was discussing about the number of counts that her father was found guilty for she said that there was seven but he was actually found guilty of six so I just wanted to make that clarification at the end there to make sure that we don't get in any legal trouble but yes found guilty of six so. Thank you anyway. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening and for listening to Shona. Please make sure that you reach out and show us some love. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on. This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye.